Hello, CLC family. Welcome to Church Online once again. My name is Christian Hessling, and I'm on staff here at the Christian Life Center. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Isn't that strange? We just saw a Christian just a moment ago leading worship. It is kind of strange, isn't it? I feel like I'm a, at a restaurant, and I'm your host, and I see you at your table, and then plot twist, I'm also your server. Uh, it's kind of strange and weird, uh, but that's not the most strange thing that's happened in the past couple months with this whole pandemic thing, and so that's okay. Uh, if I've not had the chance to meet you yet, once again, my name is Christian. I'm on staff, and I oversee our high school ministry, and I'm the production director, which means I oversee our audiovisual team, and then I help edit these services, and so I could put cool pictures in the service like this one right here like this one right here, and my favorite, this one right here. Can you tell I'm staying really sane during this pandemic? But I'm so glad to be here. I'm so glad that you guys are tuning in with us online today. Uh, and get this, this is week six of church online. I, I was thinking about that earlier today, and it's crazy because I remember when all this started, I figured, oh, it's going to take a couple weeks and stuff. Um, but here we are, six weeks into it, uh, doing church online, being a little, trying to be innovative with how we do community and staying connected. And so if you've been a part of that, we're so glad that you have been a part of that. And I can imagine by this point in time, some of you guys have your rhythms down. You know, you wake up, you know, five minutes before service, you walk downstairs, uh, you just get your coffee, and then you just sit on the couch in your PJs, and you're loving it, and y'all have your rhythms down now, and I'm so proud. Please don't, you know, fall in love with those rhythms, because our hope is that we'll be back together here in this place, and by, you know, we'll still have coffee. Um, maybe you could wear your pajamas. I don't know, uh, but we're hoping to be back together soon, but in the meantime, we're so thankful that you guys are tuning in with us online. Uh, today, I have the privilege of wrapping up our series, The Hope of Easter, which we're actually calling After the Resurrection Today, because we are living in the time after the resurrection, right? And so it's kind of a little confusing, and some of the disciples were even confused, but we'll talk a bit more about that in a, bit, in a minute. But I s figured it's most appropriate. Uh, I know some of you remember this. We started this series with confetti. I had eight confetti cannons, and I launched them all off, and me and Ben took forever to uh, clean it up afterwards, and we did a really bad job because I'm looking right now and there's a piece right there and there's some over there um, but it doesn't matter because I've decided that we're actually going to finish our series with a confetti cannon so I actually got the biggest one that they had at Walmart a uh, little promo uh, and there's three reasons why I think we have reason to celebrate today the first thing is this uh, six weeks We've been doing church online for six weeks. We've been connecting as a community in new ways for six weeks. And social isolation couldn't stop that. That's reason to celebrate. A second reason to celebrate is Christ is risen. We celebrated that last week at Easter, but that's something we get to celebrate every week. That Christ is risen, that we have hope that we get to look forward to, right? And the third reason why we can celebrate is because even in the midst of this pandemic, in the midst uh, of, of a world that's riddled with grief, uh, shame, brokenness, and pain, we still have reason to sing, and we still have reason to celebrate. And so with that, I'd like to pop some confetti to celebrate that with you guys today. And uh, I'll probably take a good 20 to 30 minutes to clean that up after this service. Um, so once again, uh, today we're talking about life 
after the resurrection. What does that look like to be a people of hope after the resurrection? But before we do that, what I want to do is we're actually going to show our Kid Zone video uh, to kind of, this would have been the video that they would have seen today had we been in the building. And so I invite you to holler down the halls and, and bring your kids into the room so they could check out this video. I'm going to pray real quick and then we'll play that video. So join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, you're such a good God. My goodness, there's so many reasons to sing. There's so many reasons to celebrate. Even in the midst of everything that we're going through, we trust and, and, and confess and proclaim that you are a good God. And so we pray today that you just open up our hearts. Help us receive from you what it is that you want to speak to us today. May these not be my words. May they be yours. Uh, and may you be glorified for this, God. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for being with us in the midst of this season. And we pray that we continue to turn to you in this season. We love you. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in your name. Amen. We invite you to check out this Kids Zone video. Three days after Jesus died on the cross, he came back to life. More than once, Jesus appeared to his disciples and proved that he was alive. One day, Jesus met his disciples while they were fishing on the Sea of Galilee. Peter and the other disciples got into the boat and spent all night on the water, but they did not catch any fish. The next morning, as the sun was coming up, Jesus stood on the shore. He called out to the disciples, but they did not recognize him. Jesus said, men, have you caught any fish? No, they answered. Put your net in the water on the right side of the boat and you will catch some fish, Jesus said. The disciples did what Jesus said. So many fish were in their net that they could not pull the net back into the boat. One of the disciples said to Peter, it is the Lord. Peter tied his clothing around himself and jumped into the water so he could swim to shore. The rest of the disciples traveled in the boat back to the shore. They pulled the net full of fish behind them. When the disciples got out of the boat, they saw bread and a charcoal fire with fish on it. Bring some of the fish you've caught, Jesus said. So Peter pulled the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153 of them. Come and have breakfast, Jesus said. Jesus took the bread and gave it to them. Then he gave them the fish. This was the third time Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Jesus turned to Peter. Do you love me more than these? He asked. Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus asked Peter again, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know that I love you. Take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Jesus asked Peter a third time, do you love me? Peter was very sad that Jesus asked him a third time. Peter loved Jesus very much. Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep, Jesus said. Jesus told Peter that he would bring honor to God. Then Jesus said to him, follow me. When Jesus first called the disciples to follow him, Jesus had promised to make them fishers of men. Instead of catching fish, they would tell people about Jesus. 
The disciples had left Jesus when he was arrested and even denied him. But Jesus still wanted to use them in God's plans. Jesus is the Lord who forgives us and makes things right again. Hope you enjoyed that video. I don't know about you as a 26-year-old adult. I really enjoy those videos, uh, and so we hope our kids are enjoying those as well. Um, that talks a little bit about that video. Talked a little bit about the story that we're going to actually dive into today. But, but real quick, I want to remind us um, what we're coming from. So last week, uh, Gary was sharing about the culmination of this story, this Easter story, this resurrection, this moment when this dead man is now alive and he's walking amongst the people. Right. And he encounters Mary Magdalene at the tomb, and now he's encountering the disciples. And so um, today we're going to talk this week about what it means to live after Easter. What it means to live after the resurrection. What is life like after the resurrection? Uh, We're going to look at the story today that you just saw in this video. um, And I think it does a really good job at painting a picture of what life ought to be like after the resurrection. Because get this, what happens now? They just had this profound event happen to them, right? They were following this guy for three years, and all of a sudden, Rome kills him. Rome crucifies Jesus, and now he's back to life. And so you have to ask, oh, like, what do we do now? Where do we go? Uh, How do we live in the resurrection, knowing that Jesus is alive? What does life look like right now? And so today we're going to talk a bit about that. But before we do so, I want to reiterate a point that I made a few weeks ago when, uh, when we opened up the series The Hope of Easter. Uh, I quoted a theologian, N.T. Wright. Uh, he differentiates between uh, good news uh, and good advice. Because a lot of times I think an issue um, that we have or something that we do is we treat Scripture like good advice, right? There's a lot of really good one-liners in there, a lot of good statements of faith that, you know, are wonderful and I'll hold tightly to this. And we treat it merely as advice when I think we have to consider it under a different light. And so N.T. Wright helps us out with this. Um, So he says advice is something uh, or sayings that help you reorder your life, right? However, there's all the difference between good advice and good news because news is something that has happened as a result of which a whole new set of possibilities has opened up it could be something good or it could be something bad right like the the announcement of new life of birth or engagement or marriage right or the announcement of someone passing away or something like 9-11 or something like COVID-19 right It's something that has happened that has created a whole new set of possibilities. News means everything is going to be different now that we've experienced this. And so when we think good news, we ought to be thinking the latter. Everything is different. Everything has changed. Everything is new. There's so many new possibilities, right? And so as we look at this story, I want us to keep that latter latter image in mind. That we think there's something brand new that has just happened and it has changed everything forever. In the wake of the resurrection, nothing is the same. There's a lot of new possibility, right? And so today, for those of you who have made a profession of the faith, for those of you who have been attending this church for a while, I want you to consider uh, what living life after the resurrection means for you. 
And for those of you who are tuning in today and you're still wrestling with this whole God thing, you're not too sure what to make of it, you're not too sure where you kind of land, uh, I just want to really, like, I just want to thank you for being here, for trusting us with uh, the next few moments of your time, and I hope they are worthwhile, and I hope they provide some clarity to any questions that you might have, but we are really, really glad that you are here. And today, today we're going to be uh, talking uh, or speaking on John 21, uh, verses 1 to 19. So this is uh, the last chapter in the book of John. And so here's what's happening. You guys know me. I always like to kind of dig a little bit and figure out what is happening that the author decided to write this text. And so if you look in the behind the scenes, uh, you'll find that this book was written in the year 75 to 80 AD. And so what's happening here is that the temple was destroyed just a a few years ago. And so these, this new Christian group is trying to figure out, okay, where do we worship? Where do we encounter God, right? And I know some of us are even wrestling with that. Like, how do we do church outside of the church building, right? And so some of these new believers are trying to figure out, how do we do church? How do we, how do we follow God? And then on top of that, Rome started banning, uh, banning Christianity. They were persecuting Christians for their faith, uh, and they were outlawing these, these gatherings, right? And so John is writing to an audience that's pretty anxious, pretty overwhelmed with what is happening in their world, right? And so that's the kind of audience that John is writing to. And he writes this book in an effort to help the movement. He's writing these words in an effort to keep encouraging people to meet anyway to profess faith and, and to, to follow Jesus, right? And, and, and I love how John does this. He actually, uh, Gary shared this last week in John 20, verse 30. John very explicitly states why it is that he wrote the book of John. I love it when like people do this, like when you're reading a book for a book report and the answer's right there on the page, right? It's my favorite thing. High schoolers, I know, uh, I know you like that too. Uh, I love it. So John writes it in, in John chapter 20, verse 30. He says these words. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. And so he explicitly states his purpose for writing this book is one, so that you may trust and believe that this guy who is dead is now alive and so that you would believe in all of his teachings and everything he came here to do. But not only that you would believe it, but that you also may have life as a result of believing it. And so he's really trying to invite his readers into this, invite these communities that are broken and experiencing chaos into life everlasting, right? And sounds like a great ending to a book, but it's weird because that's not the ending of the book. We actually have John chapter 21 now. Um, it's very interesting. If you actually read John 20 and John 21, it, it feels like it should have ended at John 20, but then you have John 21. Uh, and so what happens is actually scholars think that John added this uh, chapter 21 a little later on. Uh, that John added this section after he was originally done with it. I mean, chapter 21 is in the earliest manuscripts of this book, um, but it just kind of feels weird and feels out of place. Um, I suspect that John included chapter 21 for two reasons, uh, amidst others, but two reasons that I've kind of uh, identified. is The first thing is to further his case of Jesus' Jesus's resurrection. See, if his purpose of the book is to invite people to consider that this Jesus figure is alive, uh, then it makes sense to include as much evidence as you can, right? And so here in chapter 
21, we actually have stories of Jesus encountering people. And so he includes it to further his case of Jesus' resurrection. And then secondly, I think what I've observed is that he's trying to help us understand what life looks like after resurrection. He's inviting us to consider what it looks like to follow Jesus after the resurrection, after Easter, right? And so with these things in mind, we're going to read John 21, 1 to 19. And I'm going to go a bit more quickly during the first half, and then the second half we're really going to slow down uh, in in that portion. So starting in John 21, verse 1. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two, other of, two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So here they are. They did encounter Jesus previously, but here they are. They were kind of sent back home. They're like, well, what do we do now, right? Well, let's just do the only thing that we know how to do. Let's go fish, right? So they go on the water, and they fish all night. Uh, And it's interesting. uh, Actually, it was very common practice for fishermen to fish all night because they'd have their catch of fish to sell fresh the next morning. And so that's why they're doing it all night. I don't know about you, but I don't fish at all. uh, And I can't imagine doing it all night. That just doesn't sound enjoyable to me personally. I used to work at a hotel where I did the night shift from 11 p.m. to 7 a.m. And that was not very exciting. Uh, And so I can't imagine being on the water in the dark fishing. Just not my cup of tea. But if that's yours, that's okay. Um, So here they are all night fishing. And again, remember, as we read through this, and I'm going to bring this up over and over, John's pumping this story full of details. He wants you guys to know all of the details because he wants you to know that this is a case that he's making to his readers, that Christ is real, that this story is not made up, that this is real. And so he'll include a bunch of details like that. Verse 4, just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. Y'all, this happens to me a lot. And I'm not talking about being in the middle of the boat and seeing some figure and being like, I don't know who you are. Uh, No, but we'll be, sometimes I'll, I'll be sleeping in bed and I'll wake up and I'll see this figure hovering over me. And it's my dog. Like she's on the bed and she's just kind of hovering over me, staring at me. The weirdest thing ever. I don't know if I should be concerned or not, but she's just staring at me. And you know, I still got my eye boogers and I'm trying to wake up and I'm like, what is happening here? And I see just this figure, right? And so here the disciples are on this boat. They just had a long night, caught absolutely nothing. And they're looking off and they're like, who is, who is this guy? And they're trying to like open up their eyes and trying to figure it out. They don't know who this guy is on the shore. And it's interesting because I find that this is a theme whenever Jesus reveals himself uh, to people. Is they don't immediately recognize who it is, right? Just last week, Gary was talking about Mary Magdalene. And Mary Magdalene thought Jesus was a gardener of all people, right? And I think that just highlights that maybe we just have um, improper expectations for how Christ would reveal himself to us, right? That's just an observation. It continues on in verse 6. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. So they still don't know who this guy is. 
And he's hollering out like, hell, have you tried the other side of the boat? And if I were one of the disciples, I would have probably been like, you don't know what you're doing. You're not a fisherman right here with us. But they take, they take heed of his instruction. And they throw the net to the other side of the boat, and they start to catch all of this fish. And I think it it's shows something about Jesus. Jesus takes interest in them and their passion still in this moment. They don't even know who he is, and he takes interest in them. And he's always like that, right? And he invites them to throw their, their nets over the other side, right? And then it also highlights something else about Jesus, that he's omniscient, right? He knows all things. In this moment where they're fishing all night, didn't catch anything, and he just tells them to throw it to the other side. And they catch so many fish. So it just highlights that this is not just some random guy on the shore. This guy's interested in us, and he knows all things. This is God walking on the shore, right? The passage continues in verse 7. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. So it clicked. They had this moment where it clicked. You know, this is the same body of water that they were on when Peter walked in water. This is the same body of water that they are on when Jesus calmed the storm. And so here they are on a boat, and they just caught all this fish after a night with no luck, right? And so it clicks for them in this moment that this is not just some random guy. This is Jesus, right? And so what happens is the disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, right? He identifies, uh, he, he says, this is, this is Jesus, right? And so Peter hears it. He doesn't even look and confirm, like, is that Jesus? He just hears it. And early in the morning, I would never do this. Early in the morning, he jumps out of the boat into the water and swims a hundred yards, that's a full football field, y'all. That's like a whole football field. And Peter decides to swim it upon hearing that Jesus is on the shore. I feel like Peter's flexing here, too. That's what some of the high schoolers say when someone's trying to show off. It's like really early in the morning, and Peter's like, I got this. And he just swims 100 yards. And these are more details to validate the story, right? 100 yards he swims. Uh, this is conversation between these disciples, right? John's, uh, once again, pumping the story full of details. So upon hearing, Peter, out of deep belief, swims to Jesus. His belief moves him to act. His belief in this event opens up a whole new set of possibilities, which conjures Peter up to respond. And this is a really big component of life after a resurrection for the people of God. Things are not the same as before. This warrants a response which Peter shows here just by jumping into the water and going to Jesus. And we'll talk more about that soon. But let's continue in verse 9. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. We're going to camp out here for a minute. Uh, some observations. The first thing, yo, Jesus is providing breakfast, right? That's awesome. You know God's good when he's providing breakfast, right? Um, but in all seriousness, this highlights the abundant nature of Christ, right? 
This highlights his generosity and his compassion to feed some friends after a long night of work, right? And then uh, a second observation is like, I seriously think Peter's flexing here, right? High schoolers, I hope I'm using that term correctly. He's flexing here because after swimming 100 yards, uh, then he goes back and like grabs this net and drags it ashore, right? I don't know if he's like, hey, John, write this down. Check this out, right? Um, But in all seriousness, there should be a couple things that catch our attention in this section of passage. The first thing is a charcoal fire. And we're going to find out why that's important in just a few minutes. And the second thing are all the details, right? Once again, John's writing this so that we would believe and not just believe, but then have life as a result of that belief, right? You see, back in that time, people would suspect that some of these stories were mere visions, right? Oh, like that didn't really happen. You just saw it happen. But here, John's including details to say this didn't just happen because you see a vision can't feed you breakfast, A vision can't give you food, right? A vision can't encounter you next to a warm fire. And then the second detail that's important is there's 153 fish. Now, some scholars try and parse this apart and figure out, you know, what does this represent? Um, But a lot of scholars say, you know, people just counted their fish. It's like taking inventory of your product before you sell it. And so here, John's including this detail. There were 153 fish in that net, right? All of this points to the abundance of Jesus' gifts, and it points to the details, the validity of this story, which John was really trying to do. The passage continues. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. This is another miracle, right? They, a lot of them, some of them saw Jesus killed and now here he is on the shore and we just caught a ton of fish. And so they knew this is Christ. This is God with us. So there's no need to ask who this is. We already know, right? And this is the third account of Jesus uh, interacting with the disciples according to John's account of the gospel, right? And so John, again, he's really making a case for himself because, yeah, maybe you could deny one story. I don't know if you could deny two, but to say three stories are not valid is a really hard thing to do. And so he says, this is the third time that these people that you know encounter Jesus. Believe in this story and have life to the fullest, right? So let's recap a quick moment. I know we've been talking a lot, or I've been talking a lot. Y'all are actually just at home sitting on your couches enjoying enjoying your time and I'm just talking to an empty sanctuary there's li- I'm literally the only person here uh, so let's just recap real quick John is writing the story he includes his epilogue right and the purpose of it again so that people would believe but not only believe but have life as a result of that belief right and the method at which he tries to do this is this epilogue let's include some stories let's remind people of these interactions that Jesus had with people right And the disciples believe it's the Lord, as we just read. And John's inviting us to do the same. Because if this is good news, if it's true, it opens up a whole new set of possibilities, right? It changes everything. And in the next section, we get a better idea of what these new possibilities are. So now we're going to shift gears here. Jesus is here. We have identified that. Now we're going to get a picture of what life after resurrection looks like. Let's continue on in verse 15. 
When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. It's interesting uh, that Jesus would ask this question, do you love me more than these? A lot of scholars think he's referring to the disciples around him, right? And I had to think, like, is that kind of a pointed question? Is like Jesus trying to take a jab at some of the other disciples? Um, But what you need to do is take into account what's happened in the scriptures, right? What's happened in other accounts of this story. Because if you look at Mark chapter 14, verse 29, uh, we have this moment where Peter, professing his faith about uh, to Jesus, says this, even if all fall away, I will not. And so I can imagine that maybe Jesus is asking this question because before Peter professed his faith, even if all fall away, I will not. And so now Jesus is asking, do you love me more than these? And I think it's also interesting that Jesus calls him Simon, son of John. He doesn't call him Peter. The last time he called him Simon, son of John, was in John 1, 42, when he was calling Peter, Simon, son of John, to be a disciple. It's almost like he's calling him to be a disciple all over again. The verse continues. A second time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, tend my sheep. And you guys know how this story goes. Verse 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter felt hurt because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Gosh, there's so much going on here. I think at this point, Peter knows what's going on. I think Peter understands why Jesus is asking this question three times. You see, the last time Peter was at a charcoal fire, he denied Jesus three times. If you look in John 18, it was by the charcoal fire on the night in which Jesus was arrested, where Peter was warming himself. That's a detail that the passage provides. He was warming himself by the fire when someone said, hey, you were with Jesus. And three times by the charcoal fire, Peter denied Jesus. And so here by the charcoal fire, Jesus is inviting Peter back. Jesus is inviting Peter back. He's restoring Peter. He's offering grace and forgiveness next to one of, a reminder of one of his deepest regrets in his life, denying Jesus by the charcoal fire. And so Peter says in response, he's identifying Jesus' omniscience, right? That Jesus knows all things because just a moment ago, Jesus, uh, remember, he he. he told them to throw the net to the other side and Jesus was right and so in this moment once again he's identifying that Jesus knows all things and he confesses Jesus you know all things you know that I love you to which Jesus responds feed my sheep he's following his questions with instruction feed my sheep, tend my sheep, feed my lambs. And an important thing to note, he's talking about all people, children and adults here, which was really important in that time to acknowledge. This is in reference to the fact that Jesus was the good shepherd. 
John talks about this earlier on in the book. Jesus is the good shepherd, and he has a flock. And so what he's inviting Peter to do is he's, he's saying, Peter, if you love me, love the sheep. Love my flock. Care for the people of God. Love your neighbor. And we're going to talk more about that in a moment. But first, this dialogue wraps up in verse 18 and 19. Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you used to fasten your own belt and to go wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will fasten a belt around you and take you where you do not wish to go. He said this to indicate the kind of death by which he, Peter, would glorify God. Here Jesus wraps up the conversation with Peter in in a way that's probably a bit unfavorable for Peter. You see, what, what Jesus is doing is referencing how Peter will die which I don't know about you, but I would not want to have a conversation like that, right? He's talking about how you're going to stretch out your hands and a belt will be fastened around you and people will take you where you do not want to go. And he's giving, some of the reference scholars believe to crucifixion where you'll stretch out your hands and be fastened to a cross. There's actually a consensus by scholars that Peter was eventually killed by the Roman authorities and he was crucified which is interesting because he was killed for his faith so Jesus is highlighting in this moment that you will be killed but know it's going to be for your faith know it's going to be for what you conquered and for what you did in your ministry which is really interesting because punishment and death were supposedly the reasons which prompted Jesus, Peter to deny Jesus in the first place When he was at that fire, that charcoal fire, he denied Jesus um, because he did not want to be punished. He did not want to be killed just by being associated with this man. And so he denied Jesus. And here in this moment, Jesus is telling him, you're going to die. And this is how it's going to happen. But no, it's going to be for your faithfulness. No, it's going to be for how you lived, how you followed me from this moment at this charcoal fire on. An early tradition holds, once again, that he was crucified. In fact, Peter was uh, asked to be crucified upside down, according to tradition, because he didn't want to die in the same way that his Savior did, which is really interesting. After this, in verse 19, the second half, Jesus finishes it with this invitation. After this, he said to him, follow me. Both times, there's fire, There's fear, and there's an opportunity to follow Christ. And as the New Testament informs us, we know at the first time, Peter didn't follow Christ. But here at the charcoal fire, once again, perhaps with a bit of fear and this invitation to follow, we know that Peter follows. And we see his work all throughout the rest of the New Testament. This is a profound story that I think provides a lot of characteristics for what life looks like after the resurrection what life looks like for us Christians after Easter and what I want to do is take a couple moments actually and highlight some characteristics of this life after the resurrection in light of this moment that Peter shares with Jesus the first thing that we can learn about life after the resurrection as a result of this story is this God continues to redeem and restore all things 
God continues to redeem and restore all things. He redeems us, meaning he buys us back. He pays a price for us. And we know that price was his life on the cross, right? And with his work on the cross and in the grave, he makes a way for us to be redeemed, to be forgiven, and to be brought back into relationship with God. Next to our deepest regrets, our deepest shame, our deepest shortcomings, next to our charcoal fire, Jesus is inviting us back into relationship with him all the time. And he's restoring us and continuing to redeem and restore next to any charcoal fire that we might have. Y'all, I wish I had another confetti cannon for this, but this was literally the last one they had at Walmart. Uh, I wish I had another because this would be a moment that is worth celebrating, that Jesus is always inviting us back, right? The second thing that we can learn about life after the resurrection as a result of this story is that God continues to recommission us. God continues to recommission us. God is in the business of redeeming and restoring all that is broken, and God invites us to participate in that process. God's inviting us to be agents of restoration in a very broken world, right? In this moment with Peter, God invites him to partake in what he's doing by inviting him to feed his sheep, to tend to his lambs, for caring for our neighbor, for tending to those that God has placed in our midst and pointing them to Jesus, the redeemer and restorer of all things. God invites us to use our own gifts, our talents, our time, and our energies to bring restoration to a broken world, to bring heaven to earth, right? To create kingdom culture in the world around us, to give people a little taste of what heaven will be like and how we love our neighbor, right? God continues to recommission us. Those are two of the many things that God is doing in life after the resurrection. In light of these two things, our hope and prayer is that all people will come to realize that God is a God who loves us passionately, that God is a God who cares for us deeply and pursues us, and who wants to bring out redemption and restoration in our own lives. Just look at any part of your life, any part that's broken, and know that God wants to redeem and restore that part of your life. And he's wanting to give us life, as John calls it in this book, right? And this is who our God is, right? This is what our God is about. And so for those of us who find ourselves receiving these gifts, these gifts of redemption and restoration, for those of us who've decided to lean into this good news and to make a profession of faith in response to this story, we're then invited to do one thing. It's as simple as that. We're invited to do one thing. And the third thing we could learn about life after resurrection as a result of this story is that God invites us to follow. In light of this moment that God has redeemed us and restored us, he then invites us to follow him for the long haul. God invites us to do life with him. God invites us to do life with community. God invites us to do life with people who want to bring restoration and redemption to a broken world, right? Remember, in the wake of good news, everything is entirely different. There's a whole new landscape of possibilities. We're invited to follow, to be participants in that new possibility, right? God is inviting us to follow. God invites Peter to follow in this moment, and I think that applies to us, right? And there's two reasons why I hold that our following Jesus is the only appropriate response to this story. 
I personally hold, and I think we can see that in this story, that we can't listen to this story, believe it, and not follow Jesus. And there's two reasons why um, I think following Jesus is the only appropriate response for people who have been redeemed, restored, and recommissioned. I want to tell a story real quick uh, to help, uh, help this point. Um, I was living in Tennessee with my wife. I was doing grad work in Tennessee, and we moved back almost a year ago now. Uh, and about a year ago, actually, this time, my dad and my mom and my sister flew up for my graduation. And uh, we were out to get dinner at kind of a nice restaurant, really good food. Their sweet potato fries were incredible. I can't recommend it to you guys because it's in Tennessee. So, um, But we were having dinner, and we sat down, and we looked next to us, and it was actually a, a table of a church family that, uh, that I got to journey with while I was in Tennessee. And so they were sitting at the table next to us. You know, we said hi, talked for a couple minutes, uh, and then just kind of resumed to our dinner. Uh, and so me and my family were eating our food, and uh, the meal's coming to a close, and the server comes up and says, hey, um, someone else covered your tab. And we were just kind of like shocked in that moment, because, you know, we kind of racked up a couple hundred dollars of food right here, right? And she told us, someone else covered your tab. And so we felt so overjoyed and, and, and so thankful that we're like, oh my gosh, it's so incredibly gracious of them. We knew it was that family. I thanked them later, and they're wonderful people. Uh, but we knew in that moment, like, this is, that was so incredibly generous of them. And so naturally, we were inclined to kind of do something similar. And so we gave a pretty nice tip to our server that day because she helped us out. But then out of generosity and out of gratitude, we then had to pass it on. We could not keep that to ourselves, right? And so what's happening in this story is that Jesus is asking, do you love me? And Peter says, yes. Because Peter knows in this moment he's been redeemed and he's been restored. And so what do you do when you've experienced a, an incredible gift? What do you do when you've experienced love like this? You can't help but love the flock. You can't help but tend to the sheep, but to serve God's people, right? And so Jesus invites him, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I do. And what I think Jesus is inviting Peter to do is to demonstrate his love for him. Demonstrate, display that you love me, right? Help me believe what it is that you're saying by tending to and serving the sheep. Because naturally, if one claims to love the shepherd, then naturally they would love the sheep, right? If one truly claims to love Jesus, then loving the flock would be a natural byproduct of their love for Jesus. And I think some people are nervous to think, like, is Jesus just strong-arming Peter into doing stuff now? Is, is Jesus instituting legalism, like, where we just have to work our way into salvation? I really don't believe that's what's going on here. I really don't believe that's what's going on. And let me explain it this way. Uh, an author that I like wrote this quote. He says, Our practices do not fall short of our beliefs. They are our beliefs. Our practices, our habits, our life work, everything we do from waking up in the morning to going to bed, to bed at night are the concrete material expressions of our deepest convictions. And so if you want to see what one believes, look at how they live, right? And so if Peter loves Jesus, then a natural byproduct of his love for Jesus would be loving the sheep, right? I tell it to the students this way. Uh, and someone said this when I was a student in youth group, and it stuck with me ever since. Uh, it's, I don't worship God for salvation. I worship God because of salvation. 
I don't, I don't do good works to earn God's love, but I serve and, and do good works because God loves me, right? I don't, love, uh, I don't love other people to earn God's love, but I try and love other people because God has lavished his love on me, right? And so if we're following Jesus for the long haul, if we respond to this invitation that he gives us to follow him, it ought to be a natural response for us, uh, for us to love others. Because if we claim that this is good news, then naturally we'll want to share it. Naturally we'll want to love and care for others as a result, right? That's the first reason why I think following Jesus is the only appropriate response to this, to this story. But the second thing that I'd like to suggest is this. According to John, our following Jesus is the best evidence to validate this story. You guys know John. You and John are great friends now after this story. John is all about trying to get people to believe the validity of this story uh, so that they may have life in Christ. And what John actually writes earlier in this book is that the best evidence to validate this story is how Christians carry themselves is how people live after the resurrection, is how they, how they go about their lives after the resurrection. In John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35, John recounts the words of Jesus. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. Following Jesus and his example to love your neighbor is the best way that you could validate this story. It is the best way to help others see Jesus for who Jesus is. Jesus doesn't say that people are going to know you're their disciples by your church attendance. Jesus doesn't say that you, other people will know that you are a disciple by what you post on Facebook. And Jesus does not say that they will know that you're a disciple by how much Bible knowledge you know or have or can spit out at any given moment, right? And I'm not saying those things are bad things. Those are good things. But that is not uh, what being a Christian is defined as. It's not what being a follower of Christ is defined as in this moment, right? They will know, there's that song, they will know that we are Christians by how we love, by how we tend to the sheep, by how we tend to the flock, right? Which is what Jesus invites Peter and I think ultimately us to do. And you know this is true because the, the opposite is quite true, right? Our worst argument for Christ is when we bear the name of Christ, yet we look nothing like him. And we see it all the time with people not wanting to go to church, being burned by the church because they've seen how Christians live and it didn't make sense uh, with this Savior that they saw in the Scripture, right? And so if we want to validate this story, which is John is all about, he's just saying, follow Jesus. Respond to this invitation to tend to the flock and to serve others, right? And please... I'm not bringing this up uh, to bring up your charcoal moments, your, your fire charcoal moments, right? I'm not saying this so you can just leave today and think, I got to whip myself into shape. I got to be better. I got to do more. That's not what I'm saying. So please hear that. I simply mention all of this to say this. Keep encountering Jesus at the fire. Keep having these restorative, these redemptive moments with Jesus at the fire. 
have these moments where you go to God and say, you do love God. You want to tend to the sheep and you want to serve and you do love Christ, right? And so have these moments where you keep encountering Jesus at the charcoal fire. Continue to recall the great gift of love and life that Jesus uh, wants to give you because it's easier to love others when we learn uh, how loved we are by God, right? And it's easier to give great gifts when we realize the greatest gift that's been given to us. So with that, I invite you, just keep encountering Jesus. Keep encountering Jesus. Keep going back to the fire. This is life after the resurrection. God is redeeming us, buying us back, and restoring us in all the brokenness we have. And he's recommissioning us. He's giving us purpose. And finally, he's inviting us to follow him, to join with him in community in the life of discipleship. And it isn't always easy. Remember, Peter does his whole journey knowing how the end will happen, right? However, it is our hope that in participating in this, that we will also participate in the life everlasting ourselves. And that's the hope of Easter, right? We usually have a few ways. Uh, I always try and end uh, sermons with like, here's just a list of practical things that we can do in response to the sermon, right? And so we've, we've said all of these in recent weeks, like joining us online for community, which all of you watching are doing right now. Uh, calling your neighbor, right? Caring for the flock via phone. Serving your community in some way. There's never a shortage on how we can serve. And continuing to meet Jesus at the charcoal fire, right? Those are some kind of maybe generic, but I don't think we need coaching on how, uh, how to do these things. I really don't. I think we all know how it is that we can do them. Um, but what I want to challenge you with is to take the steps necessary in order to follow Jesus. Take the steps necessary. We all know how it is that we can encounter Christ, how it is uh, that we can tend to the flock, to tend to God's people around us. And so my only challenge is I invite you, take that bold step of courage, encounter Jesus at the fire, be redeemed and be restored, and then journey with your community as you make heaven come to earth, as you care for God's people, right? In doing these things, we can participate in the life after the resurrection. We're going to sing a song. We're going to finish our time together in song, as we usually do. We're going to sing a song called Praise the King. And uh, it's interesting. You've been doing this for six weeks now, so maybe you have a rhythm on, you know, uh, how you worship at home. I invite you just to lean into that. If it's belting out the song with your windows up so your neighbors can hear, go for it. Uh, If it's just sitting and absorbing the words, just read them off the screen to yourself. Go for it. If you need to pray and just think about what you need to bring to the charcoal fire moment, I invite you. uh, Do that. Do whatever it is you need to do. But at this time, uh, we invite you to worship with us. And let me pray real quick before we do that. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you're always at the fire waiting for us. Thank you that you give us these moments of redemption and restoration, that there's nothing that we could do that would remove those moments from our our lives. We thank you that you're always offering love and your good gift of life. And so we pray um, that we can just look at our own lives and wrestle with how it is that we can live life well after the resurrection. 
that we can live in this tension of, you know, this has happened, but we're still in this time frame where there's brokenness in the world. Teach us how it is that we go about that and how it is that we can serve our neighbors best, how it is that we can love each other best uh, for your glory and, for, and not for our own. God, we pray that you would encounter us in the spaces that we are in right now, whether it's home, in the car, and we just pray that we would encounter you in a new way. We love you. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's sing together. Well, we invite you to sing along as we do our last song, Praise the King. darkness runs from love There's a reason why we stand here now forgiven Jesus is alive Sing, there's a reason There's a reason why we are not overtaken There's a reason why we sing all through the night there's a reason why I hope remains eternal. Jesus is alive. Praise the King. He is risen. Praise the King. He's alive. Praise the King. Death's defeated, hallelujah, he's alive, hallelujah, he's alive. There's a reason why our hearts can be courageous, there's a reason why the dead are made alive, there's a reason Share his resurrection. Jesus is alive. No, he's alive. Praise the King. He is risen. Praise the King. He's alive. Grave could not ignore 
guys, thanks again for joining us. We're so glad that you're tuning in from wherever you are today. Uh, if you need prayer or if you just need anything, go ahead and email us at info at clcfamily.church. We would love to connect with you and do whatever we can to serve you. If you have any uh, questions about the church or you want to learn more, visit our website, clcfamily.church, and you can learn more about us there. Uh, on Tuesdays at noon, we have a podcast called Overtime where we dive a bit deeper into the sermon. And I'm going to call it like Sermon 2.0 because there's a lot I couldn't cover today that I hope to cover on Tuesday. And so if you want to join us Tuesday at noon on the Facebook page or our church website, you can tune into that podcast live. If you have a question that you would like to submit about the sermon, please feel free to do so. Like throw any questions you got at me. We'd love to talk about them. You can email those questions to overtime at clcfamily.church. Uh, and what I want to do is I want to invite you guys. May we celebrate that God has come to redeem, restore, and recommission all people. And may we follow him and participate in resurrection life together. Thanks for joining us this week. We'll see you next week. Take care.